of last week, I was looking at I am the gate. And this evening, we're going to be looking at Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. So let's read just now uh, in John's gospel. We're going to read John chapter 10, verses 11 to 21. And you can follow it on the screen. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and he doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I've received this command from my Father. And again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he's got a demon, he's crazy, why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who's demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray now that as we spend this time looking at your word, that you would help us to understand it and to put it into practice. We pray that you would give us fresh understanding of your word. Um, but we also pray, Heavenly Father, that we would experience your word, that we would put it into practice so that people can see that we are a people who not only read your word, but listen to it and obey it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, it's quite easy to understand why Jesus would describe himself as a shepherd. We've got a picture of the kind of thing that um, we, we tend to associate when we think about Jesus as being a shepherd, looking after the sheep, carrying the lambs and everything else. It's a picture of someone that cares for the weak, for the frightened, for the lost. But the question I want to start off with this afternoon is, why does Jesus not just say, I am the shepherd? You know, we immediately, I think for many of us, our minds go back to Psalm 23, where, the, where that Psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd. But Jesus doesn't just say, I am a shepherd or I am the shepherd. He's much more emphatic because he says, I am the good shepherd. And even in the Greek, it's quite emphatic because what it actually says, literally word for word, it's Jesus says, I am the shepherd, the good. So what is it um, about this statement that Jesus is trying to say? One of the keys to understanding Jesus' I am statements in John chapter 10, I am the gate and I am the shepherd, actually lies in understanding what's just happened in the, the previous chapter in John chapter 9. And in that chapter, Jesus has healed someone who was born blind. I've got a picture here that was painted uh, in the 16th century by a man called El Greco. 
And this is his depiction of Jesus healing this man. Now, think about this for a minute. This man has been blind his entire life. And this is 2,000 years ago when we don't have the kind of aids and help that we have for disabled people today. So no Braille, no guide dogs, no voice readers or you know, screen readers or anything else. So this man has never been able to work because of his blindness. So he's been forced all these days to, to sit and to beg and to depend on other people to help him. We know, because it will come up in a wee second, we know that he's living with his mum and dad because he has to depend on them to take care of him and support them. And for him, there's probably this, this embarrassment and this sense of failure that as a, a, as a fully grown man, he should be looking after his parents as they get older instead of them still looking after him. So for Jesus to give this man his sight back, not just the fact that he's restored his sight, but everything else, that all the possibilities that are going to come out into this man's life just because he's got his sight back is amazing. But if you look at this picture, the thing that gets me in this picture is the wee dog in the bottom, in the middle. How many of you noticed the wee dog in the bottom, in the middle? The dog is sitting there crouching and they can't really see his face, but the tail's tucked away. Those of you who have got dogs recognize that. That's a sign of a dog that's either afraid or it's a dog that's shown aggression, maybe a bit of both. And its attention is focused on this group of bearded, mainly bearded guys over here. Because in this picture, that's the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees, God's leaders, the people who were meant to teach the people how to follow God, they were furious with what Jesus had done. Because Jesus had healed this man on a Sabbath, on the holy day. And so um, it says that because they were so angry, they took this man and they, they literally interrogated him, not once but twice to find out what had happened, who did it, when, where, what did he say. Not content with that, the Bible says that they pulled in his parents and asked them what was going on and what had happened in Basically, his parents said, he's a big boy, he can speak for himself, ask him, it's got nothing to do with us. So, they then condemned Jesus as a Sabbath breaker, as a sinner, as being demon-possessed. But when the man whose sight had been restored kept on insisting that Jesus was a powerful, godly man, the Bible says that the, the Pharisees were so enraged that they threw him out they banned him from being able to worship in the synagogue and in the temple. So this man had all his life pretty much been in the fringes of society. Jesus gives him his eyesight back and that brings him straight back into society. And within hours, the religious leaders have chucked him back out again. And he's on his own and he's isolated. The G so it, rather than celebrating what God had done, the Pharisees... Um, had insulted Jesus and punished the man for getting his eyesight back. Because for the Pharisees, keeping the rules, following their interpretation of God's laws was more important than bringing healing and hope 
to a man who had been forced to beg all his life because of his blindness. And as the spiritual leaders of God's people at this time, the Pharisees were, were meant to be the shepherds of God's people. They were meant to be their examples of this is what it means to be a good Jew and to follow God and to keep God's laws. They were meant to be there to teach people this is how you serve God. This is how you please God. That was meant to be their job. But instead of being loving, patient, kind, and gentle towards people, the Pharisees became arrogant and impatient, judgmental, and hard-hearted. Instead of being examples to people and saying, this is, you know, look at us and do what we do, they became proud and went, we are so good, we keep God's laws, we do this and we do that. And that, in their minds, made them better than other people. And this problem of the shepherds failing to shepherd their people wasn't just a problem in Jesus' time. This goes right back through the the Old Testament and right through the history of Israel. So in the Old Testament, there's a book written by a man called Ezekiel. And he records these words that God spoke to him. This is Ezekiel chapter 34, where God says to this man, Son of man, prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophecy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. That's God's condemnation of the failure of Israel's political and spiritual leaders. And God is angered by this attitude, by this injustice and and this lack of compassion. Effectively, in the same passage further on, God says, if you want a job done properly, do it yourself. So further on, it says, as a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. So, looking back in Israel's history and looking back on the events that have just happened a few hours before, Jesus stands in front of the Pharisees and he says, I am the good shepherd. And although he never says anything more than that, there's an implied criticism there. You can hear him now saying, I am the good shepherd. And you can see him looking at the Pharisees And the words are there but never spoken as completely different from you who are the bad shepherds. But there's something else he's saying and if the first criticism hurt the Pharisees, this one would really set them off. Because in Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, he is looking at these passages that the Pharisees know so well because knowing their Bible was one of the things these guys prided themselves on. So the minute Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, 
they know that what he's also saying is not only am I the kind of shepherd that you have failed to be, they also know that he's saying that this is God standing in front of you, doing what he said he was going to do, that God himself was going to come and show you what a good shepherd really looks like. So Jesus says, you're meant to be examples and you failed to do that. So now I'm coming to be the example and to show you how to shepherd God's people. And that's true not just for the Old Testament. It's not just true for Jesus' time. That continues to be true right up into the present day because God is still appointing shepherds of his people. Christ-like leadership is an essential gift to God's people today. Men and women who can care for his people with wisdom, with compassion. And leaders come in all shapes and sizes and all varieties. It can be pastors, it can be elders, it can be deacons, it can be leaders of ministry. It can be preachers and teachers and all other kinds of things as well. But no matter what a leader looks like, a leader should be looking like Jesus. You can tell if a church is a safe place to be or not by looking at the leaders. Did the leaders say, listen to Jesus? Do what Jesus says. Or did they say, listen to us and do what we say? Too many people have been hurt by bad leadership. Too many people have been turned away from God instead of being turned to God because of bad leadership. And that's why... We looked at this last week. Jesus says, a thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. So while bad leadership can destroy lives and turn people away from God, good leadership, godly leadership, leadership that looks like Jesus, leadership that is, that is built on the model of the good shepherd is a leadership that builds people up that it grows faith, that it brings peace and security because it points to Jesus, not to themselves. And so that's why the Bible also says that godly leadership is not only worth listening to, but it also says that godly leadership is worth respect. So, in, again, we've looked at Hebrews a few times today, but in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your flocks as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So I want to encourage you this afternoon, pray for our leaders, whether that's Mark, whether that's Paul or TJ as the elders, whether that's the, the leaders of ministry like um, Esau or Tot Time or, or things like that. Um, pray for them that they would be able to serve with wisdom and that they would, uh, that, sorry, that they would have wisdom as they, as they serve and as they lead. Pray for their protection. Because the Bible says that Satan wants to strike the shepherds and scatter the sheep. Pray for them. Pray for their families. Pray um, for them 
to be able to serve with joy and to be able to carry out the responsibilities that they have with, with joy uh, and with happiness. As we pray for our leaders and as we pray for them to be blessed and as they thrive, we as a church are blessed and we thrive as well. So pray that our leaders would follow the example of the good shepherd and point us to God. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. First of all, because he is the perfect example of what a shepherd should be. But another characteristic of the good shepherd is that he's prepared to sacrifice himself for the sheep. So that's why Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And then immediately after it says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And this is Jesus expanding on what he was talking about earlier on when he said, I am the gate. If you were here last week or if you've heard last week's sermon, I was explaining the illustration that a sheep pen is basically a wall with only one entrance in it. And one of the shepherds would have the job of lying down in that gap, in that opening. And he would literally put himself between the sheep and any potential danger. He was basically saying, if you want to get to these sheep, you've got to come through me to get them. And so here is Jesus saying emphatically, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. And this idea of the, the, the shepherd loving his sheep so much that he's prepared to, to, to give up his own life for it, it sounds brave and noble. But I want to suggest to you that actually when you stop and think about it, actually it's senseless and it's reckless because they're only sheep. You can always get some more sheep, but not of your dead. Now, the shepherd would immediately take offense at me saying that because for the shepherd, the sheep are not just sheep. The Bible says, Jesus says that he knows his sheep and a shepherd loved his sheep so much that to me, a sheep is a sheep. I couldn't tell one sheep from another, but a shepherd can look at all his sheep and he can see every single individual. He knows something about that sheep that makes them different from the rest. And it says, therefore, he calls his sheep by name because every single one of them is individual and is important to him. And it says, his sheep know him and they know his voice. So for the shepherd, he loves his sheep so much, nothing is more important for the sheep that even he's prepared to lay down his life for them. But it makes the hired hand actually sound like the sensible one because it says the hired hand, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and he doesn't care about the sheep. Not being a shepherd, I keep coming back to this thing. They're only sheep. They're not worth dying for. But the shepherd, the good shepherd, disagrees. I want to ask you this afternoon, no one may ever have said to you, they're just sheep, they're not worth dying for. But I wonder if people have said something similar when they've said to you that maybe you're useless or you're stupid or you're a waste of time, you're a disappointment, you're a failure, you'll never succeed. 
You'll never do this. You'll never do that. You failed as a husband. You failed as a wife. You failed as a son. You failed as a daughter. You failed as a father. You failed as a mother. Whatever. And it doesn't matter what anybody else has ever said about you. And it doesn't matter even sometimes what you've said about yourself. God loved you and God has loved me so much that he has come from heaven and he has given up his own life for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be with him forever. And it doesn't make sense because we are not worth it. But God disagrees. That God loves us with all our failings, with all our flaws, with all our stupidity, with all our rebellion. God loves us so much that still he decided that every single one of us was worth him giving his life for us. As I think I said this morning, God could not love us any more and God will never love us any less. So how are we going to respond to the Good Shepherd today? You might think, well, I'm not a leader, so I don't see how this idea of the Good Shepherd, the perfect shepherd, this self-sacrificing shepherd applies to me. Well, even if you are not a leader of some kind, well, first of all, I suspect there's probably folk looking at you when you say, I go to church or I'm a follower of Jesus. And they want to see what kind of person you are. They want to see if you're someone that points to Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that every single one of us should adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And that's why the same chapter also says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Everyone should look not only to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. There's the very definition of the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Do you love God's people so much that you want the very best for them, even if that means putting their needs before your own, like Jesus, the good shepherd? Or have you got the, the mindset that I should get what I want, when I want, and how I want, that everybody should set themselves up to listen to me and do what I want and make me feel important, make me feel that I'm the one who's always, always right? The shepherds are God's people, the leaders of the church. They want to spend their time caring for God's people. They want to spend their time feeding them, healing them, keeping them safe. What they don't want to do is to have spend all their time having to separate out the sheep that are trying to bite and kick everybody else. So do we follow Jesus in such a way that we make life easier for God's leaders or do we make their life harder? 
How are you going to respond to Jesus, the good shepherd who loved you so much that he was willing to give his life in exchange for yours? And perhaps that begins with you giving your life back to him, asking for his forgiveness and his acceptance. You can live your life trusting in someone or in something that turns out just to be a hired hand, that when life gets tough, when problems come along, that's it, that person or that thing you're trusting in, it's gone, leaving you on your own to deal with it by yourself. Or you can put your trust in the good shepherd who loves you and has promised that he will never leave you or never forsake you. That was a promise that Jesus staked his life on. And it's a promise that we can stake our life on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the good shepherd, that you care for your people, you love them, that you want them to know peace, that you want them to know contentment, that you want them to know healing and restoration and fullness. You want them to know hope and a future. And so we thank you that you have laid down your life for us, but we thank you that we've been reminded that you also have been raised from the dead, that, that when we celebrate who Jesus is, when we come and worship, we are not worshipping a dead hero, but we are worshipping a risen saviour. And so we thank you that a day is coming when we will see the shepherd of the sheep with our own eyes. When all the things that we believe and all the things that we thank you for now, we will see them and, and experience them in a way that we have never before. And so we pray today, Heavenly Father, help us to follow the example of the Good Shepherd. Help us to love you and to love your people, that we want to help them and encourage and bless them. Help us uh, to be so grateful for the fact that you gave your life for us, that we respond by giving our life to you. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.